everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 133rd episode of the podcast that is taking you through all of the Marvel superhero adventures of the Marvel superhero universe from Marvel Super... No, we did not start with Marvel Comics number one. We started with the Fantastic Four number one back in 1961, and we've read 56 of those now because we're going to be covering issue 56 today, um, including everything else along the way that is MU. So. I was someone, someone was asking me, you know, well, what are your podcasts about? And so I was trying to tell him, you know, Spandex Adventures. And then I told him that we've done like, I think, 438 comics at this point, including the oddball stuff that's not Silver Age. And we've covered like five years, I think. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's just Four. crazy to me. Four? We started in yeah. 61 or 62? We started in 61. So you add five years. That's six. Oh, this oh. is 66. Yeah. You're right. We've covered five years. I don't know. When I was saying that to them, I just seemed like, oh my God, did we really do that? That's pretty crazy. That's a lot. It is pretty. Oh my gosh. I'm just now realizing that we're five years in. Mm -hmm. What day did Fantastic Four 1 come out? Uh, Good question. I don't know the exact day, but I can tell you in five seconds. It came out August 8th, 1961, and we are in August 1966. Okay, so we... With with last episode and this episode, have hit the five year birthday of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, and didn't even realize it till now because they didn't even celebrate it. Come on, guys, what the heck? What are y'all even doing? Um, if only we had realized this last episode when we hit August 9th, I could title this for the last episode because I don't have a title for that one yet. But mm-hmm. um, this title is definitely already taken. Okay. Well, you could still sneak it in and no one would know that you didn't think of it until we admitted it right now. By then, it's oh, too late. Right. I could just have the yeah. title on there. They're like, really? Yeah. Five years? And yeah. then we get to the, yeah, well, you know what? That's just what we're going to do. So, listeners, that's why that was titled <laughs> that way last year, last week. Uh-huh. Last week. We did. We knew it all along, right now, for the first uh-huh. time. Hey, you want to okay. tell them what we're going to cover? I to guess end I should. Just five in case. year month. Make sure that you're um, you're out there, you're all read up and ready to listen. So we're going to be uh, finishing out of August 1966 this month with, uh, with or this episode with the Avengers 33, the Fantastic Four 56, Amazing Spider-Man 42, and Strange Tales 150. Wow, we've read 150 of those. You say that? I don't I know. think it's true. I like saying that because I know it's not true. Oh, you know what's fun though about next episode? Huh. Our Thor count and our episode count will be the same. Oh. 134. You know what I'm looking forward to? Episode 333, because I like the number three and three threes. I mean, just can't go wrong. I'm looking forward to 233, because that's like a big Superman number. <laughs> oh, okay. Because that's his Why? like big old busting the green chains off. Oh, uh, really? Wow. End of Kryptonite issue. Yeah, awesome. it's 233. Okay. That didn't take, I guess. I guess not. It lasted for a good six years. There was oh, no wow. kryptonite. And then they're like, yeah, we're going to start using kryptonite again. Just a little <laughs> bit. This random rock first is like a rare thing. And then later on, they're just like, there is kryptonite now. Okay. They still haven't gone back to colors. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Smallville did. But yeah. Smallville did. Well, yeah, I was going to say still. I mean, 1980, end of 1980s. Oh, I see. I got what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, uh, I guess I should start this. Um, Fantastic yeah, Four. Ahead. Not Fantastic Four. The Avengers... I keep saying the wrong thing. I haven't had anything to drink. 
I don't know what it is, but I'm going to keep saying the wrong thing, correcting myself evidently all through this episode. To smash a serpent is our title. Um, I was just looking at the corner box. All six of our Avengers are still in the corner box, despite the fact that we don't have the tw- the uh, the mutant siblings right now. Yeah. Okay. Caution, y'all. Whatever you do, wherever you go. Um, excuse me, not to interrupt, but while you're talking about the mutant siblings, isn't that one of them on the cover? I just noticed that. Oh, why my is gosh. she there? She shouldn't be there. No, that's Scarlet Witch we're seeing that I just realized shouldn't be there. That's odd because she is not that, in this issue at all. If anyone, that should be the Wasp, like the other Avenger oh, who is present. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wrong cover image. Wow. Wrong woman. I guess they're just interchangeable. You know, I, I have heard that that's the case sometimes is that, you know, women are just women. That doesn't really matter which one is which. Right. He says, with tongue firmly in cheek, please understand out there. <laughs> Referring to bad attitudes, not quoting one of myself. Yeah. Uh, wherever you do, whatever you go, be sure to hang on to this irreplaceable-ish with the wrong character on the cover, for it's certain to become one of the most talked about collector's items in the annals of comicophilia. We kid you not. Worth about $15 today. And I looked right. it up because of that caption. Because of that caption. It's like, is it? Is it hard to find? No, no, it's not. No. Department of Personal Glorification. Stan the Man Lee is the writer. Dazzling Don Heck is the artiste. Adorable Art Simic is the letterer. And leave us not forget, Invincible Irving Forbush, Snake Charmer. Mm-hmm. All right. So the Sons of the Serpent, which are basically um, the MAGA crowd with green instead of red. Uh, they have there. I, I said <laughs> uh-huh. they have captured Captain America. They have him chained to a wall. Um, they're torturing him. They're giving him shocks, and he can't break free. Hawkeye, uh, he's kind of peeved with the Sons of the Serpent. He's also kind of peeved with uh, Goliath for telling the Attorney General that they're not going to fight the serpents. He just doesn't really know what's going on. And when one of the Sons of the Serpent sneaks into Avengers headquarters, he almost hits him with an arrow and Goliath stops him and says, we can't shoot the guy. He's just here to talk. And uh, Hawkeye's like, rah, 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 rah. and um, they, uh, they let the serpent go. Um, he leaves one of those little talking serpent sticks that leaves a message and then blows up. But before that, Hawkeye pins Goliath down and Goliath's like, of course I wanted to tear that so-and-so five ways from Sunday, but he was wrapped in bombs. And if we had hurt him or hit him or collided with him or anything, he would have exploded and blown all of us and Avengers HQ up with him. So we couldn't do it. So like, okay, fine. So there's a green stick shaped like a snake sticking in the ground. And it says that they need to report to the next meeting of the sons of the serpent. If they want to see Captain America alive again, and then the green snake blows up in their face. Okay. Meanwhile, at a high level meeting in the United nations, one of the leaders of a hostile Asian nation belligerently addresses a special committee. Um, this is general Chen, which is a Chinese name. And he's definitely wearing communist military garb. So we can probably assume that he's a communist Chinese military leader. He is uh, griping with the United Nations. Senator Byrd is here. Um, and he's basically telling them, you know, you think y'all are all that. You're always talking about how America is so cool. What about your Avengers? 
they're supporting these sons of the serpent and the sons of the serpent are dividing your country. So what are you doing? Y'all are all a fraud. And um, anyways, so back at Avengers HQ, Bill Foster storms in with the news and totally rightfully, justly balls out Henry Pym because Bill Foster was beaten up. He was assaulted and attacked by the Sons of the Serpent last issue. And now Goliath is not speaking out against them in public. He's tacitly um, giving them his approval. Um, meanwhile, at the uh, and Goliath is still basically like, yeah, sorry, we're still not going to turn. And Bill Foster drives away saying, get yourself another assistant. I'm done helping you, sir. Um Meanwhile, back at the Sons of the Serpent, Captain America is singing their praises. Hail the Sons of the Serpent. Hail the Supreme Serpent. We must banish all foreigners and keep the blood of America pure. Um, there's going to be a big rally. They're going to have Captain America talk. The, basically, the word is that Captain America and the Avengers are going to support the Sons of the Serpent. And so there's a whole lot of talk in the crowd about how the Sons of the Serpent must be onto something. If Captain America and the Avengers, you know, they're good enough for me. Captain America is all that in a bag of Cheetos. So the Avengers show up, except for Hawkeye. And they're like, where's Hawkeye? He, they're like, he, he'll, he'll show up. He had to park the car. Meanwhile, Hawkeye is in one of the Avengers scout ships. And he says that... All the other clouds are drifting away, but there's this one cloud that isn't. We haven't heard about this until now, but Hawkeye found it. And he goes up there and he sees there's a Sons of the Serpent spaceship floating in the cloud above the assembly hall. He flies in. He lands his ship. He jumps out. He fights some suns. He shoots some arrows and basically starts causing all kinds of havoc. Meanwhile, down below, the uh, rally gets ready to start. Goliath is given the microphone. It is expected that he is going to approve of the Sons of the Serpent. But instead, he says, the reason I came here is to prove in person that everything the serpents say is a pack of lies. And I love this quote. So I'm going to quote it. Ready? In the name of patriotism, they seek to tear down everything good and decent that America stands for. They'll never succeed. Our nation was built on freedom, not tyranny, brotherly love, not hatred, justice for all, not bigotry. So good, 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 good stuff right there. Um, but then Captain America shows up and he's like, hey, don't listen to this Goliath guy. You know, this is the way the Avengers go in. You can tell them to kiss off because I'm Captain freaking America. And I say the sons of the serpent are super cool. So then the people in the audience are like, well, I don't know who to believe, but you know what? Captain America, I do like some Cheetos and he is all that in a bag of Cheetos. So finally, um, the Avengers start fighting the sons of the serpent. Captain America's there. Um, turns out it's not really Captain America. It's a son of the serpent dressed as Captain America, which we find out whenever he and the sons are in uh, secret together. So um, let's see. Goliath and the Wasp go to town on them. Hawkeye is up in the ship. And um, while he's fighting Sons of the Serpent, a female shadowy figure rescues a male shadowy figure 
um, who they're both, he's really surprised to see her and she tells him to put some clothes on. And basically this is black widow rescuing Steve Rogers. Where did black widow come from? You might be wondering, well, turns out she was on the ship with Hawkeye the whole time. And while he was fighting sons of the serpent, she was sneaking around the ship trying to find Steve Rogers. So she finds Steve Rogers. They find Hawkeye. They both go back down. They're seeing uh, Captain America fight the son, uh, um, Goliath. So Steve Rogers starts fighting Captain America. He's like, wow, twice in one week. And um, <laughs> finally, uh, they have a snake gun up against Hawkeye's head. It's like the alien from Alien breathing his little alien mouth with a little alien mouth inside up against Sigourney Weaver. It's that kind of a thing. Um, but Hawkeye's like, you know, whatever, let him shoot me. You uh, you can't give in to him. Um, but then Black Widow shows up and fathaps the Sons of the Serpent guy, and they're able to win. Uh, turns out, once all the fighting is done, that the Supreme Serpent was actually General Chen, fomenting the latent bigotry in the American populace to turn the nation against itself and against its values for the interests of a foreign power. And um, the year is 1966, not 2020. <laughs> so Captain America and the Avengers walk away because the menace of the serpents has ended. But um, the bigotry and poison in... Um, in America might still be there, but every time it rises up, they're going to put it back down again. Mm -hmm. I remember not being enthused by this story, uh -huh. but I was reading it this time going, damn, 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 damn the whole time. And just like sadly relishing in it because now there's a different point of view on it <laughs> because what? Well, and it's, just, I think I mentioned this last time we were covering the first part. Every time I've read the story, it's felt more applicable, not less. Uh -huh. And it feels so relevant right now that it's, like I said, sad and depressing, but also it's like, wow. So one of my takeaways from this is it felt to me, I don't know about you, but it felt to me like it's one of those issues where the art's doing one thing and the dialogue is trying to come up with something else. Okay. I think I know some of the instances you're talking about, but go ahead. Talk, talk more about that. Well, we can get into specifics, but I, we've had this problem before where it's like, if I didn't have this dialogue to read, I wouldn't know what's going on right now, kind of. Because okay. the pictures aren't matching the word balloons, right? So you read the dialogue and you go, oh, okay, I guess I guess Black Widow's here, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I guess that shadow is Black Widow, or I guess those legs are Black Widow, or whatever. And so then I got to thinking just overall, like, you know, they call this the Marvel method, because Marvel apparently made this idea that, you know, the artist draws all the pictures and then – or you, they plot it out in paragraphs rather than panels. Mm -hmm. Like this has to happen on this page. Then the artist draws it and then Stan or whoever goes back in and fine-tunes it with dialogue, right? Whereas apparently prior to that, I don't know what they did. Not that. So they either did like break down each panel in this panel on page one, this has to happen. And page two, this has to happen, which is how I I've seen it. I assume that like older Marvel scripts are a lot like, are structured a lot like current, I don't say Marvel, older comic strips were structured a lot like current comic strips. It was basically, here's a page, mm -hmm. here are the panel instructions, draw this mm -hmm. in each panel. Right. Um, 
But yeah, this is, and I'm not even sure, you know, depending upon comic to comic, meeting to meeting, I'm not even sure how detailed they get in their plot agreements. Right. Um, if they just decide, you know, this in the first five pages, or if they break down the pages. But ultimately, it's the artist that, like, you know, does the laying out of the story. Right. So there's and, no, like, unlike unlike full-on scripts where the dialogue is all planned out ahead of time and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, this just comes in after the fact, and let's make up some dialogue now to match the pictures, right? So did Don Heck forget to bring Natasha in ahead of time? But what I was wondering on a more grander scheme is if this is the Marvel way, does that mean the DC is not doing it this way? And have you ever read 60s DC comics where you thought, boy, the art doesn't match the words? Or is this one of the drawbacks of the Marvel way? Like this weird out of sync feeling sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. Um, I feel like there have been times where the art wasn't clear and needed some exposition. But the fact that, like, maybe two different thought processes were going on, I don't remember having that thought hardly ever yeah. in DC Comics, honestly. Well, I feel like we have in this on this show a few times. It's, again, it's not yeah, like at nine least out of ten a times. a half dozen or full yeah, dozen times. totally. So, like, for instance, this scene in the beginning where Hawkeye confronts this guy, it just felt like I'm glad there was words because I don't know what's going on. And the art's really not clear. Hawkeye draws a beat on him. He's talking uh, in the third panel, and then he's gone. He's, not, he's, in gone. This, he's yeah. not in the scene anymore. And Goliath and Hawkeye are smacking each other. Yeah. And then Goliath is ripping apart machinery, as, and then they explain it as he's just frustrated, but it doesn't seem like that's why he's doing it. Oh, and then there's a Padum. I don't know. It's just really confusing, and it's a lot of dialogue to help me get through the scene to where I don't really even need the pictures, I guess. Right, right. And then later, like you said, the Black Widow stuff is just – I don't know if that's just – a confused artist versus dialoguer, or if that was just a really poor decision on how to reveal Black Widow or something, because that seemed really low key and lame. I do feel like they're running out of pages at the end. Uh huh. Um, there's this whole bit that's just not very clear about like a raised platform where some of the fighting is going on. Like, mm-hmm. is it a platform that's raised up out of the rally all the way up to spaceship height? And I wasn't really sure, but so I didn't really talk about the synopsis because ultimately it doesn't really matter that much. There's still right. two levels of the action. Um, but but how come when Hawkeye busts in, we don't follow Black Widow? Because that would have been way more interesting. She sneaks in the back and she yeah, finds Steve Rogers hanging there unconscious and all that. You know, that would have been a cooler story beat than how they did it. That's why I was wondering if maybe she was like not remembered. Like I'm sure <laughs> a, a, an element like that where she saves Steve. Yeah. Um would have been part of the plot discussion unless it wasn't, unless it was like a spur of the moment decision. Why don't we use this to bring black widow back? But and she was in the last issue. She wasn't was in the she? last issue, but she's here. She's actually doing Avengery things. Right. She wasn't doing Avengery things last issue. No, but I thought she showed up and they had this like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I have an idea for you. And then we never found out what it was. Uh, and then this was the payoff, but maybe they forgot about the payoff until the last minute and just squeezed it in. Okay. Maybe. The only thing I remember from last issue, because I didn't think about that and go back and look, the only thing I remember is that the the romance between Hawkeye and Black Widow was was you know referenced and brought back and everything. I, I thought they had a discussion about like how she could make it up to him or something like that, but I don't. I, be, I believe you. I just didn't look it up. Yeah, I don't know. That was I was like really cool to see her, and it was really cool that she saved Steve, but at the same time we didn't see any of that, so it was like, eh, kind of weird. Um. What do you think of Goliath's extreme secrecy strategy? Coming out of last issue, going into this issue. 
Well, for one, I think that Hawkeye just likes to be contrary. Okay. Because here he is on page three, upset with that strategy. He's like, I know this will probably help save Cap's life, but I think we should be upstanding and morally correct at all times. And I'm thinking, Hawkeye, I think if you were in charge or you came up with this idea to be sneaky, sneaky to save Cap's life, you would be patting yourself on the back. No problem. Like, you don't seem like the morally upstanding at all times, no matter what kind of guy to me. Right, right. So it just seems like he's mad that Goliath came up with it. So that's one. Two, I think it's weird that he couldn't just tell Bill Foster. I don't know. I didn't buy that one. That was just like that drama, one bothered me. Un- unnecessary drama, you know? Mm-hmm. There's no drawback to telling Bill. Mm-hmm. There are drawbacks to not telling him. So. Yeah. yeah. Like Bill would understand. Oh, okay. Let's just keep it to ourselves then, you know? And now I, I'm tempted to go look at appearance list to see if Bill Foster comes back anytime soon. Because um, I honestly don't know. I guess the whole idea is that it keeps Cap alive, or they think it does. Okay, well, keeping it out of the public keeps Cap alive. Yeah. But telling Bill Foster is a whole other, you know, creature. Right. So, I don't know. The strategy is cool, although, no, I guess their idea was that send Hawkeye in to take care of business while they turncoat on the bad guys, I guess. Right? But remember at the end of last issue that, like, Goliath didn't even tell anybody. He just tells Hawkeye to, like... Mm. not make any promises and let the whole thing go. And Hawkeye's like, what the heck are you doing? So coming yeah. into this issue, I wasn't entirely sure how much Hawkeye knew or understood about things until after Goliath is like, of course I wanted to beat that guy up. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess yeah, of course a, he wanted to beat that guy That's up. the other thing. Like, yeah, he's this guy is like going to explode, and we only know that because they tell us that. I don't know. I did like the part where Hawkeye or Goliath apologized for punching. That's very uncharacteristic of superheroes and Avengers in particular. <laughs> of punching <Yeah>. Hawkeye. <laughs> it's like, I shouldn't have done that. Wow. How self-aware. So I looked it up and Bill Foster is back next issue. Okay. Um, he yeah. doesn't do a whole lot before his Bronze Age Black Goliath stuff, but he does have a few a few appearances still to go. Um, what else is I going to bring up? Just a side note about the wasp. Uh, she mentioned her stinger having pellets and she was out of pellets. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just blasts of compressed air, but pellets are even better. So, yay. She must have got an upgrade. Yeah. It definitely was air before. Um, I think that this story means they had to make Steve necky, which is probably not a good thing. Make Steve what? Naked. Like take Steve Rogers' clothes off in order to put the costume on the other guy. Oh, well, he has pants for some reason. He does have brown pants, but for some reason is right. Like, I think they probably gave him those. Uh, maybe Met Black Widow gave him those, and we just don't see that scene because it's in Avengers um, number uh, 33.5 or something. That sounds right to me. But yeah, this is the second time recently that Cap has had a faker trying to use his shield. Uh-huh. But this also reminded me of, like, this future storyline where he's Hail Hydra guy, you know? Even though mm-hmm. it's a, just a one issue here, but in the end they both fight and whatever. But, uh... Girl power, even though it's we're coming near the end, so the panels are getting smaller and smaller, and we don't know what's going on, but Black Widow saves Steve, and Wasp beats up the main bad guy, and he runs away, I think. Yeah. So there you go. Who needs the Avengers? It's Avenge Woman, not... Oh, wait, that only works with X-Men, sorry. <laughs> I'm just flipping forward to see when our mutants come back to this book, and I'm not yeah, seeing them. No mention at all this time. They Not got a, cured last time, maybe, by some some, some um, random old guy. Right. And we weren't sure if that really took or not. 
or if that's really Doctor Doom in disguise or something. Okay, weirdly, we are going to see them in passing next episode. Mm-hmm. They're in an they're in a scene in Thor one thirty four. Okay, and then they're in a scene in X Men twenty seven, but they're not in Avengers again until thirty six. So three more months before they're back in Avengers. Wow. I hope they add one more because I don't like this whole like roster of six. That's a weird number. Um, I'm looking at 36. We've got Black Widow is still sticking around. Oh, Cap, cool. Goliath, Hawkeye, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, Wasp. So eight. I mean seven. Seven. Yeah, that's a good number. I like seven. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's overall a good story. Like if you just told me the story, it's like that sounds really cool. But like I think the execution was weird. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of how I think I said the exact same thing during the Wonder Man two-parter or just was it a one-parter or two-parter? I don't know. But Wonder Man had that same feeling like towards the end they were running out of room. So they just kept smashing panels together and mm-hmm. and telling me what to see rather than showing me. Maybe Don Heck just has a problem with team management sometimes. Too Maybe. much going on. Too much going on. All right. Ready for some claw? Oh, gosh. I guess. Do I have to talk about it? I do. Okay. <laughs> Claw, the rhetoric master of sound. Uh, produced by Stanley and Jack Kirby. Delineated by Joe Sinat. Lettered by Artie Smek. Nuff said. Wow. Really? That's it? You uh, heard the man. That's enough said. That's enough said. I guess that's it. Though the world may call him Mr. Fantastic and acclaim him as leader of the most famous superhero team on Earth to a certain lovely young lady, Reed Richards is merely an errant husband who hasn't been spending nearly enough time with his new bride. And so we find Sue Richards barging into one of the many labs atop the Baxter building as our Titanic tale begins. So basically, we have a new chapter, even though we kind of haven't wrapped up the Inhumans thing. But we'll get to that. So yeah, she's looking around for Reed. She sees that the light's on on the space-time research visiphone. So she presses that, and Thing is in there, and he's like, yeah, Reed's in here, we're doing some stuff, and he can't be bothered right now, but I promise to keep him safe, and we'll get back to you. And she's like, but dinner, meatloaf, ah, and then he hangs up on her. Inside, Reed is checking out the, uh, 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 the, does he call it the negative zone or something? He calls it subspace. He's checking out subspace, you know, where the Star Trek has all their messages and stuff. And it's like this big, giant Kirby-like view screen, and there's this crazy blue Kirby alien waving at him and stuff. And he's like, yeah, the more we can learn about subspace, the more likely I can do cool things. Like, I don't know, maybe break through and free the Inhumans. Or Ben, maybe even find something that cures you. And Ben's like, I don't know, I kind of think this is me now. But anyway, before we can have that introspection, suddenly there's a big uh, sonic boom. And... Ben and Reed are knocked out, and there's this weird-looking pink guy with a sound arm, and it turns out his name is Claw. That's right. Claw is still alive from FF number 53, but he looks completely different now. Uh, But before we can get into that, we cut to the Inhumans. They're still trying to get out of that, uh, uh, what do they call it? They call it the negative zone bubble or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they're trying to get out of that, and if we recall last time, uh, Black Bolt was going to do something risky. Uh, they were going to shoot an absorber bomb and he got in the way of that and he took the blast because he was worried that it was going to kill all his family and friends. So he's unconscious. His brother's still nuts and like brags about how he's the only one who knows how to free them. That hacks off Medusa. So she like throws crap at him and then starts to cry. Um, then we cut back to Claw. 
and he attacks the invisible woman. And she's like, who are you? And she whips up her force field. And he's like, ah, I can't get to it. Let me tell you who I am. I'm Claw. Remember me? And then they flash back to the last time they saw Claw and how we saw that he like at a last ditch effort, like jumped inside a weird Kirby device that turned him into pure sound from a human to pure sound. So now he's like pure sound and he attacks the invisible woman and she kind of, he makes these weird noises that freaks her out and turns her shield off and she busts out a gun and tries to shoot him, but that doesn't work because he's pure sound. Meanwhile, Reed and Thing are trying to escape from the room that Claw left them in, I guess. He's trapped them in with like vibration shields or something, a vibration barrier. So, you know, Reed has all this cool stuff. He's trying to make tech, but Thing grows impatient and he just picks up a big giant thing and tosses tosses it at the wall, but that just makes everything blow up. But then Reed's like, here, I've got this cool uh, countersonic harness I just whipped up. Put that on you. Run against the barrier as hard as you can. You'll probably get through. And he does. Reed doesn't get through, but the thing gets through because he has this sonic barrier device or something. So just as Claw's about to kill Invisible One, because even when she turns invisible, he can amplify her the noise she makes so he can hear her footsteps going boom, 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 and know exactly where she is. So just as he's about to zat her, the thing jumps in the way and takes the brunt of it. And they get in this big fight. And that, like, makes the entire, like, all of New York, uh, you know, I don't know, lights and stuff go and stuff, which freaks everybody out. Meanwhile, Johnny and Wyatt and Lockjaw are, I guess Johnny and Wyatt, are following Lockjaw in the hopes that he will someday actually transport back home and then that Johnny can see Crystal. But Lockjaw went to some weird planet or something that where he feeds on energy, so they're watching him eat. But back to Thing and Claw. Ooh, that big fight between the two of them that made the entire city buzz, that's knocked them both out, and they're kind of, like, exhausted. But then they get back to fighting again. Um, Claw mysteriously lets Sue – or lets down the barrier and lets Sue – hug Reed, and then he's like, now I'm going to kill you both. Or you know what his whole plan is, is he wants them to ask Black Panther to come over for dinner so that he can kill Black Panther. He's really upset about Black Panther more than the Fantastic Four. So as he's telling them again, get me Black Panther, Reed is like, hold on a second, there's something here for you. And then all of a sudden this missile comes into the room through the window and it explodes, but it's just a little explosion. And out of the missile comes these cool like brass knuckles but they're not brass knuckles they're they're vibranium bands because while claw was trying to kill all his teammates reed richards uh sent out a call to uh uh uh, black panther and said dude i need some vibranium to take on this uh sound dude so now he has brass knuckle vibranium uh made of vibranium and he starts punching the heck out of claw and you know it hurts because that's what vibranium does it absorbs claw uh, and basically he knocks him out and then the thing like rips up his mechanical hand and then they get on the screen and talk to Black Panther and everybody's like, yay. So if you collect Black Panther, you have to buy this issue. Also, if you collect Dr. Doom or Silver Surfer, you have to buy this issue because the end is somewhere, somewhere mysterious in Europe. A mysterious man with binoculars watches the Silver Surfer land on a mountaintop and he says, ooh, that's good for me. Who is this mysterious man? We will never know unless you read the words next. Dr. Doom, exclamation point. It's like everything belongs to me. Everything the light touches. <laughs> Don't go to the elephant graveyard. Right. That's where the Silver Surfer landed. Yes. Is this too much going on? Uh, or not enough. 
I don't know. It okay. seemed awfully it seemed awfully simple but complicated at the same time. Yeah, too much but not enough does feel like this is the explanation. Yeah. Um, I, did he come from subspace or did I not understand where he came from? Claw? Yeah. Claw emerged from his sound device. But how is um, he how is he in the uh space-time research room? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he just showed up and he zapped them. How was he in there? He was on the roof. Okay. So on the roof, he zapped them. Now it says on the roof. Where are they? They're in their space-time research room, which I didn't think would have access from the roof. You would think. It seemed all sealed off. Okay, he blasts their room from the outside and seals them inside. Oh, okay. It seemed like he was in the same room with them because the art's really ambiguous as to what he's doing. But that makes more sense. He sealed them in with his barrier and that created a sonic boom that knocked them out for five seconds mm-hmm, mm-hmm. got it okay which also affected black bolt because he's knocked out on the next page he is knocked out because of i don't even remember that's like, exactly what my son does because <laughs> like yeah. that 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 scene happened like six issues ago or something it was, some... it was two. They skipped last issue. There are no humans last issue. Yeah, so the way we do this show, that's like 28 episodes ago. So it's like, <laughs> I don't even remember what the details were now, but did he fire the bomb or somebody else fire the bomb and he tried to just get in the way of it? Or So what I'm going to do next Fantastic Four is uh-huh. I'm going to reread all the Inhumans scenes. <laughs> right. And see how well it tracks. It, yeah. Because I'm starting to suspect that it maybe it doesn't. In this particular case, it just could be by bad memory. Because I do remember right. there was some sort of absorb a bomb. I just don't remember who did it and why. Um, and I, I felt like was um, was Black Bolt going to like speak into a device that like focuses his voice? And that was supposed to blow up the wall, but then there was then it didn't. Like there was a blast and we didn't know what happened next. So him absorbing the shock of an absorb a bomb. Absorb a bomb, a bomb, a bomb. Doesn't really feel right. Here it is. It's clear to me now. He used his great powers to drive the absorb a bomb against the barrier, hoping to shatter it at last. So that happened in issue 54. Okay. And that's where we left him. And then it says, but, because somehow Gorgon knows this, even though Black Bolt's unconscious, but he suddenly realized that we would be destroyed along with the barrier due to the energy had built up. Only that one life-saving scream could have defused the bomb in time. You know how Gorgon knew this? Yeah. He's read the script ahead of time. Right. So Black Bolt used his awesome scream to create the Absorba Bomb, but then also used the same scream to absorb the Absorba Bomb and diffuse on himself bomb bomb. and diffuse it so that nobody else would blow up. Makes sense. Sure. Okay. I mean, yeah. Yeah. In a gobbledy, like in a techno, the techno babble works out. I guess. The, the, the nouns lead to verbs, which lead to other nouns. Yeah. But still, um, I would argue that, like, they left us on such a major cliffhanger and he was going to die. And then to make us wait two issues for this is the result seems. Did they just forget about the Inhumans last issue? Like, I don't know. It's just like, blah. I think Johnny was still in the comic. But, yeah, they must not have had the Inhumans because this is where we left them. Oh, yeah. Last issue, we did have Johnny and Wyatt and the uh, the dog mm-hmm. because that was the first time we saw them in the monthly. They were in the annual before that. Mm-hmm. And they're not in this one. No, they are because they go to that alien planet. Mm-hmm. God, that's taking forever, isn't it? Or is this the first time they showed up in the month? Yeah. Okay. So 56 <laughs> uh-huh. is when they 
55 is when they found Lockjaw. The annual is when they have their first travel with Lockjaw. And now we're back to the monthly, and here's Lockjaw, and they land on this alien world. All right. Still not liking the Inhumans. Well, there's not a whole lot to really like yet. Like, it's just like no. one or two pages at a time, and they're, they're trying to get out of their bubble. Okay, Mad Max made a bubble, and um, they can't get out of it. Mm-hmm. So there's not a whole lot for them to do besides struggle with the bubble. What has happened to us? We once were happy here in our hidden land. We should never have left. Cry, Medusa, who left, and we never figured out why. Mm-hmm. So she's the one complaining about leaving and ruining everything, but we still don't know what she was running from. She's regretting her life choices that we don't understand. <laughs> why was she in that cave? Why were they chasing after her when they weren't even kings because the other guy was the king? And why was he the king if all you had to do was go in and say, no, I'm the king again? Oh, my God, forget it. Why are we going Remember backwards? how important the seeker was for two minutes? And then they, yes. the seeker found them and then he disappeared. Yes. Never to be seen again. Uh, I should read the wiki on Inhumans and see if they explain this better. Um, so Claw really wants Black uh, Black Panther to help out. And Reed's like, yeah, we got Black Panther to help out. He said, it's this doohickey. Uh-huh. I'm going to fight you with the doohickeys. And he does. And he wins. Yeah. I think Claw looks really cool, but I've always thought he looked cool. Claw is a really cool design. He's very Kirby without like being excessive Kirby. Mm-hmm. Reed Richards and at some point calls Ben Grimm the greatest partner he's ever had, which is they're cool. They're cute when they're nice to each other. Mm-hmm. And that's after thing screws up big time. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying, I was just writing down that like um, page 11 is a lot of really fun scripting between those yeah. two. Yeah. We start using our heads, big fella, even though the lab is sealed off, it's packed with inviolable equipment. Well, what's holding you up? Just grab a couple of framistats and attach them to a few doohickeys and, <laughs> right. well, we'll go waltzing out of here. Come yeah. on, bad. Be serious. Fine superhero you are. Yeah. We'll cook up some kind of anti-barrier gizmo and let's get out of here. It's not that easy. It isn't? <laughs> or it ain't? <laughs> it always has been before. <laughs> How come you never cook up any gizmos that work better on guys who can stretch? <laughs> right. Why do I always got to wear them all? Thing had a lot of great lines in this, which – yeah. Uh, Made up for the last couple issues of him having a lot of racist and sexist lines. <laughs> yeah, please, Thing. Never let that side of you be seen again. Mm-hmm. Grow as a person. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot happening in this, but not a lot happening at this. A few yeah, fun moments. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of cool that Black Panther saved the day, but it also like seemed easy or something to me. It's a little Panther X Machina, isn't it? Yes. It's like, I'll just type this thing and then he'll just shoot this thing because he automatically has vibranium brass knuckles ready to go and all right i do have fond memories of the next arc so we'll have to see if dr doom and silver surfer is as awesome as i remember because it seems like it will be it seems like it should be right because super powerful being who's very ignorant versus manipulative evil guy who likes lots of power right who likes lots of power yeah all right. Um, so, okay. Next up. Uh-huh. Um, spoilers. I enjoyed this reading of this issue more than I ever have done before. <laughs> okay. This is my first um, reading of this issue. Amazing Spider-Man 42, The Birth of a Superhero. Okay. Produced by the, oh, yeah. Produced by the Batty Bullpen Swingin'est Spider-Files. Smile and Stanley writer, jazzy Johnny Ramita artist, slammy... Slammy Sammy Rosen, letterer. 
we open with Spider-Man robbing a bank. He is carrying away a money bag. You can tell it's a money bag because it has a money symbol on the bag. But you're not looking at someone disguised as Spidey or imitating Spidey, nor are you witnessing an imaginary or dream sequence. This is not Spider-Man's Kandorian double, nor is it a robot. And since this is an authentic, honest to Mary Marty Goodman Marvel mag, the scene is really happening. So if our way favorite web had actually committing a crime, think it over, Frantic One will clue you in later. And they mean a lot later. Because Spider-Man totally takes a bag of money, climbs up on a bridge, throws it in the river, and with no explanation. That's it. Okay. We go over to the Daily Bugle, where uh, Fred Foswell shows up to tell Jameson that Spider-Man has committed a bank robbery. Betty Brant and Ned Leeds are getting reacquainted. Uh, Jonah is talking to his son, John, who's getting ready to fly back home. Don't you worry about those spores you contracted on the moon. They say, keep saying contacted. I really think they mean like contracted, like you contract a disease, but they don't use that word. Hmm. Um, and out of nowhere, just like all of a sudden, John Jameson turns into 1938 Superman. He suddenly <laughs> gets larger and broader, more muscular. He can break things by touching them. He can leap right through the wall. Um, and they find out that the spores have given him superpowers they um he's reacting basically the way that an earth man would react upon the moon so he's reacting the way an alien from a higher gravity would act in earth's lesser gravity and yellow sun um so in order to sort of like bring his powers under control because it was kind of like wild and he was just like touching stuff and breaking it they give him this suit uh, has the lead plates, lead weights in the boots, and the suit itself has a lot of weight. They sort of like, you know, gave Goku his weighted training outfit, and um, he was able to operate, just kind of like live his life now. Um, Jameson and Jameson leave, and they're all pretty happy that everything's working out, and one of the guys in passing is like, Mr. Jameson, how does it feel to be the father of a new superhero? And Jonah's like, what'd you say? And he's like, I hate superheroes. How am I going to, my son's, my son's a superhero? No. Well, maybe. Okay. You know what though? Spider-Man robbed a bank. So if Spider-Man robbed a bank, my son can go catch him. There were witnesses of the bank robbery. So it's gotta be true. John, go stop Spider-Man. And John's like, okay, dad, I'm off to stop Spider-Man. Meanwhile, the rhino, remember him? The rhino is in a hospital and they can't get his rhino skin off. So in a courtroom, the judge decides that Franklin Foggy Nelson of Daredevil fame should be the uh, DA who defends um, the rhino in trial. Meanwhile, the rhino wakes up. He doesn't want to lose his suit. He tries to get away and they trank him with trank gas until he falls on his face. Meanwhile, again, Peter Parker rides his motorcycle to school. He sees Gwen. He and Gwen say some flirty hellos to each other. And Gwen's like, hey, want to come to my party on Sunday? He's like, hey, I sure do. And then he walks away. He's like, aw, Snickers. I have a lunch date with my aunt and that stupid woman that she wants me to meet mary jane watson you know what gwen i'm sorry i just realized she's like whatever peter 
you can just go do whatever. And uh, Flash is like, yeah, you can just do whatever, Peter. And she's like, shut up, Flash. So Peter goes off and turns into Spider-Man and runs into John Jameson. He's like, hey, John, I know you. And John's like, yeah, I don't want to beat you up. And at this point, it is Superman versus Spider-Man. And Spider-Man can't stop him. He's too strong. His punches are too hard. And the only thing he's able to successfully do after like throwing like loads of bricks at him and all sorts of stuff is to cover his face in liquid web goop and skedaddle out of there. And then he's like, oh, this guy's after me because he thinks I robbed a bank. He doesn't know I didn't rob a bank, that there was actually a bomb put in a money bag and taken into the vault to blow up later so that somebody else could rob the bank. I broke through the vault bars, grabbed that bag of bomb and threw it away. There was no money in there. I didn't rob the bank. It just looked like I did. So he swings off to Jonah Jameson and says, hey, I didn't rob the bank. You can call the bank. There's no money missing. And Jonah's like, you stupid rassafrasa. But he calls the bank anyway, and there's no money missing. John Jameson shows up, and Jonah's like, hey, um, we can't go after Spider-Man anymore because it looks like he didn't actually rob the bank. And John's like, I don't care. I've gone crazy. I'm mad with power. And I'm going to go beat up Spider-Man because I hate him. And so there's another fight between John Jameson and Spider-Man and it goes for a little while and he leads John Jameson into a place with electrical doohickeys with which he electrocutes John Jameson who falls on his face much as the rhino did earlier. Uh, Spider-Man swings away. Um, Jonah says it's all Spider-Man's fault. John was too brave and too strong and too smart. He's just a chip off the old block. So Spider-Man swings away, goes to bed, and, and Peter sleeps, and it's Sunday morning. Oh, gosh, this feels so nice. I could just stay in bed all day, think I'll have cookies and ice cream for breakfast, and you know what? I don't even have to do any homework because I'm all caught up in my classes, and Aunt May comes in and says, shouldn't you be dressed? Dinner's in a couple hours, and we're going to have guests. He's like, ah, oh, poop. It's Sunday that means we're having company. So he goes with Aunt May over to their next door neighbor, Anna Watson's house. And she's like, let's go in and sit down for dinner. Mary Jane should be here in a couple of minutes. And Peter's like, I really wish I could go be at Gwen's party right now. Gwen's so pretty and her hair smells like sunshine. And when she smiles, my heart goes flutter and I get those little warblies in my tummy. And it's just so amazing. I guess I'll just have to deal with this Mary Jane business and, and see her on Monday. And that's when the doorbell rings. Peter, could you get the door? And he goes over to the door. He opens it up. Peter, I'd like you to meet my niece. You mean that's Mary Jane? And this redheaded knockout says, face a tiger. You just hit the jackpot. Woohoo. Yeah. Then he dates Gwen anyway. Um, it's, it's, it's a toss up for a while. <laughs> oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So the whole, I don't know if I've ever twigged to the fact that John Jameson was just spider Superman. And that's all he was. He, he was Superman uh-huh. in this issue. Mm-hmm. And once I realized that I was like, oh my gosh, they're doing Superman versus Spider-Man. They just can't call it that. And I loved it so much. Yeah. When does he What'd become a werewolf? Um, I kind of thought the spores was going to make in, that happen, but I guess not. 
Yeah, it's a little ways down the road. It's not. I think it's in the early 100s. That's more about an amulet or something. Now that I'm thinking about it, isn't it? Yeah, it's got that moonstone. Not the okay. moonstone, but um, but a moon thing. Some curse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It was cool. I think the bank thing was a little odd or something. The way they handled it, I guess. I don't know. It was definitely weird. I, and I was thinking about why they might have chosen it that way. And the only thing I can think of is to uh, build credibility for the Jonah sending John after Spider-Man. And since you don't understand what's going on as the reader, you can't be against it kind of thing. That's the only thing I could think of. Well, because John so far has been a pretty upstanding guy. So I guess that is a good reason to get him to, to go in that direction. Right. Uh, especially since he's been a Spider-Man supporter this whole time. I also like that he slowly loses his mind. So that continues to give us an excuse as to why John is like just wanting to fight. Right. Because for a while there, I'm like, gosh, why is he being such a jerky face? But that's why. Um yeah, it was cool. I mean, I don't think John is going to be much of a memorable moment per se, but No, this and honestly, for the longest time my brain would conflate this issue with the just a guy named Joe issue. Uh-huh. Because they are both random power sets. Their costumes are even a little No, they're not. They're not similar at all. Um, but my brain for a second said they were. But yeah, they they get random powers, they put on a costume, they fight Spider-Man, they're kind of crazy in the head, mm-hmm. and then they don't have their powers by the end of the issue, and it's all over. And both start with J. And both start with J. Um, they're also really close together. So it's kind of hard to hold uh, J. Jonah Jameson to any sort of consistency or accountability these days. But mm-hmm. like, did we know he hated all superheroes, or was it always just Spider-Man up until this point? Because I thought like he was a Cap fan at least or something, you know? Didn't he ever say that? Or he will say that? I don't know. He he will say that. But, uh, he has uh, not said that yet. I th- I think it's the implications that the reasoning he's giving for Spider Man mm-hmm. is reasoning that applies to superheroes in general. And yet also we know he knows that he's full of baloney. So anytime, like in this issue, he gets super excited that 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 you know Spider Man is a bank robber. He's like finally validation i've been saying all along that he's not a hero and now everybody will believe me it's like yes but behind closed doors you talk about how great he is and that's why you hate him so right did you really think he was a bad guy this whole time do you think he's a bad guy now i don't know jonah he's confusing and and part of that i think is his self-interest because he wants he's gotten himself in trouble Mm-hmm. in the past for printing stuff too early and too soon. Yes. And now he needs something that is like, you know, verifiable and documentable and there are witnesses and okay, now I can finally move on something real. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to his credit, even though he didn't want to, he did follow up and call the bank and he did admit to his son that there was no missing money. Right. Right. So he is actually, actually starting to show a little bit more realism, maybe slightly yeah. a little bit. And then, of course, he blames Spider-Man for John's condition in the end, but that's very Jonah, too. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, would He's, Golden Age Superman actually be uh, taken out by a big shock of shack electricity? Yeah. Oh, I cool. It. Cool. Um, Golden Age Superman got knocked out a few times. Um, he got knocked out by poison gas. Oh. Um, I would believe enough of a shock of electricity would knock him out at least temporarily. Cool. Um, so, yeah. Um, now, now, they do this whole, like, uh, you know, I beat him with science instead of with Spider-Man powers, right? Yeah. But it's like, uh, 
what did he say? Now, the electromagnetic field built into your suit should cause a feedback from that generator, which, aha, it worked. There it is. Now, right there, I'm like, how do you know he has an electromagnetic field built into his suit? But okay, figure out he did. But then it's like, I knew it. Whatever changed him just had to be the result of something contacted during his spacewalk. So I chose the one way to shock it out of his system. Mm-hmm. How do you know anything about that or whether that would actually do anything? I think he just got yeah. lucky and then patted himself on the back. I think Ramita had the guy get shocked by electricity uh-huh. and Stan had Spider-Man get really, really proud of himself. Yeah. I mean, I like when Spidey uses science to beat bad guys. But in this particular case, it was like there was a lot of knowledge he suddenly had that he shouldn't have had, really. Uh-huh. And the the whole idea that he contracted something on a spacewalk. Okay. Was he there for any spores conversations? Did he hear any he, of that ever? He saw... J. Jonah or John Jameson get escorted to a limousine. He asked J. Jonah Jameson what's up. J. Jonah Jameson told him to bugger off, and that's all I think he ever saw of John. Okay, so he knows nothing. He knows about- nothing, <laughs> and they've kept it a secret, right? So I don't know. But even if he did, like, how do you know that shock is the only way to get it out of a system? You don't know anything about the spores. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if that is a way to get out of the system, then how come the scientists haven't just shocked the heck out of him at this point? If they're trying to get rid of it. Right. Well, I think they were trying to like study it and see its effects and weaponize it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he went crazy was an unexpected side effect. Well, not completely unexpected because they say that they, they were wondering if that could happen. And apparently that's why the rhino was hired to steal him because they were hoping that would happen. The people who hired him. Right. So I guess there's a good chance if you contract Jupiter spores somehow on the moon you're going to turn into a supervillain. Jupiter spores. Well, didn't he, didn't they, they say something about Jupiter? I do feel like like Mr. Jupiter or something is the name for this. But I'm trying where to figure out where I got that from. Page four, I think, when they're theorizing about how the gravity and stuff. Oh, the spores must be from some planet like Jupiter, where far greater muscle power is needed to overcome the tremendous gravitational pull. I agree. He reacts now the way... An Earthman would react upon the moon. So was it Jupiter okay, or the so, moon? Well, so they're they're drawing the analogy: Jupiter is to Earth as Earth is to the moon. Okay. Jupiter has much more gravity than Earth, just like Earth has more gravity than the moon. Okay. So they're drawing a parallel there. So it's just overly complicating that sentence, I guess. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. Um, well, and also they can't say Krypton, but they just had to pull some <laughs> other high but, gravity but planet. He did just go to the moon, right? He didn't go to Jupiter. No, because no. that's not a thing you can do yet, unless you're Thor. I'm just looking up John Jameson Jupiter, Colonel Jupiter. Oh, um, it's that funny. is the name given to this, doubling his original size and physical strength, uh, oh. particularly with his lower body for jumping and leaping great distances. They don't call him that, um, do they? I don't think so. No, no. So he, so this happens to him again, maybe. <sighs> I don't. I mean, maybe, but I don't think so. Huh. How odd. Yeah, I'm just... Um, but he's been used for th- as this in other places. Like, John Jameson as Colonel Jupiter is in, like, animated episodes. Okay. Um, from Spectacular Spider-Man, he showed up as Colonel Jupiter. Awesome. But, yeah, I don't know. So I'd have to do a little bit of research maybe, to see if Colonel maybe, Jupiter comes uh, up. someone transferred the spores from Jupiter to the moon and then the moon to John. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Gosh, Peter Parker by John Romita is so wholesome looking. Like these last two pages. 
Just mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. just a happy go lucky happy guy. No glint of evil in his eye like Ditko used to do. And of um, course, classic, just classic. The suit was made by Tony Stark. Oh yeah. That was kind of cool. And it does come back in continuity when She-Hulk's strength gets increased too much. Mr. Fantastic adapts the Jupiter suit for her use. There's an image of her wearing a very similarly designed suit with a different color scheme. Nice. That's in She-Hulk 11, but I don't know which She-Hulk 11 um, from 2005. Cool. I forgot about that little beat. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it says Tony Stark's department or the boys at Tony Stark's whatever lab. So I don't know if he specifically did it, but it seems like, okay. it seems like in his own comic, he does invent every single thing and nobody else invents anything anymore, but doesn't it, but they don't say specifically. I think they just said like his department or his lab or something on, um, on John's Marvel fandom page. There's no mention of the name Colonel Jupiter. Okay. So this is not something that happens on the regular. It just happened here. Well, it's an amazing name, so he really ought to own it. Except once he becomes a werewolf, Colonel Jupiter doesn't really ring anymore. But Yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm looking at him as Man-Wolf, and he's wearing yellow and green clothes that looks very much like this suit. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if like he's wearing this suit again when he does another space mission, which turns him into the Man-Wolf. Maybe the... Maybe the spores aren't as easily as eliminated as Spider-Man thought they'd be. We Maybe. don't follow. We don't get a follow-up of him awake later in this issue. He's just unconscious. He could still be strong for all we know. Yeah, he could. Okay, so Man-Wolf stuff's not till 124 of Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, so that's a ways away. Ways away, yeah. Ways away. Definitely in Probably Never Get There Land. Sucks to be J. Jonah Jameson's son, though, man. This is like the second bad thing to happen to him. Yeah. There's going to be a third, yeah, obviously. Okay, you were starting to go that way earlier, and I was too stuck on um, John Jameson stuff. But last couple pages, Peter does look really, really great. Mm-hmm. And we get, like, the epic moment. Mm-hmm. The introduction of full-faced Mary Jane Watson. So, now, I po- I clipped that last panel, and I just threw it at some friends of mine just to tell them, you know, I got that far. Uh-huh. And I have one friend who really likes to just not uh apply any sort of gravitas or honor to anything that people love universally Uh like he likes to make sure to keep everybody grounded so the first thing out of his mouth was why is she coming off so arrogant that's really unattractive it's like never mind that everybody loves this panel and it's like the greatest intro to a to a i don't know maybe not a character ever but at least a a female love interest ever and I'm just like, oh, my God, I don't know. But then you, I started thinking, yeah, I guess she is coming but, off arrogant. But I don't know. He, yeah. He's not even wrong. Mary Jane's a bit of a narcissist. Yeah. Or at least puts up a front of being a bit of a narcissist, especially in these well, early issues. That's what I thought. Like, maybe she just thinks it's funny because I like false arrogance, too. I think it's hilarious. So yeah. Maybe she was just nervous. And she decides to own it and be like, look how lucky you are to date me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Which fits into her personality. She knows she's attractive. Uh-huh. She wants to be a model. She wants to be an actress. She knows that guys like her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's you know, I've never been a woman, certainly never an attractive woman. Mm-hmm. But having spoken to a few, I know that there's this mental process you go through when you realize 
guys like me. Like, uh-huh. that's a thing. And yeah. and she's past that point. So she mm-hmm. walks in and there's Peter Parker. She's like, check it out. Mm-hmm. Look at me. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty cool, aren't I? Yeah. There's a lot of cool chicks out there, but here's me. And also she knows that he's blown her off multiple times at this point. Right. And she's also blown him off a few times at yeah. this point, as we find out later. So it's it's kind so of look she's what putting you've been her missing. She, yeah. She's putting her best foot forward here, yeah. or what she thinks is her best know. foot forward. I think it gels with her personality, yeah. And I, I don't think, think so she too. genuinely thinks that she's so amazing that he should be so lucky, although she probably does on some level. On some level, I think she actually, yeah, I would I, I would think she does. Yeah. Um, her outfit is very 60s chic. Got the low-riding jeans, got the uh, torso-hugging shirt um, that goes out over the hips. And uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty great look. Also, is this the first hairband of Gwen Stacy, or have we got that? <gasps> does she have a headband in this? She does. She it still, is the first one. She still doesn't quite. She still looks a little angry, like more than I, more you know, with the eyebrow arching thing than uh-huh, that uh-huh. I than I picture her. But she's get definitely getting like softened up by Ramita, I think. Yeah. Okay. So instead of the two little clippies, now she has the headband mm-hmm. and her eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. They're not as arched. In fact, the first panel, they look almost normal. Yeah. She looks almost like the Gwen Stacy I think of in that first shot, but then she gets mad. Right. And kind of um, mad in a petty way. Like, oh my God, it's so bad that like he forgot that he had plans and he was excited to say yes, but then he turns out he can't say yes. Like, is that really that big a deal, Gwen? Come on. So I think, honestly, I think she's more disappointed and is coming out yeah. as anger. Yeah. She, I mean, she and Peter have a great little bit of, you know, eye connection mm-hmm. in that first panel. Mm-hmm. And then whenever he bails on her, which kind of, you know, he lowers himself to her expectations because that's kind of the experience they've had so far. I would say she's disappointed and she lashes out. Mm-hmm. And as soon as anyone else talks bad about Peter, she's like, shut up. Yeah, that's true. That's just the way I read it. Face it, Tiger. You just hit the dilemma <laughs> because that's what they've just introduced. <laughs> you got your Betty and Veronica, Gwen and Mary Jane. Yep. Okay. So should we just end the episode on that? Cause that was pretty great. That was pretty great. We should probably go ahead and do <sighs> okay. the next book. I'm sorry, everybody. Let's end it on a bad note. Uh, he, he tried to save it. Y'all he did. He tried strange tales. Number one fifty. Now let me tell you in advance. Either both of these stories make zero sense, or they just make zero sense to me. And since I'm summarizing them, they are now going to make zero sense to all of you. Because I don't (laughs) understand what is happening in either one of these. Kind of. Kind of. So let's see if we can work our way through it. But the first one is Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. Still stands for the same thing. Eventually that will change. We should keep an eye on that. Probably 20 years from now. Hydra lives, it's called, introducing the inconceivable menace of the overkill horn. Don't yield, back shield, script, Stan Lee, layouts, Jack Kirby, pencils, John Buscema, what, what? Inks, Frank Giochiochio, I forget his name, lettering, Sam Rosen, earplugs, Irving Forbush, Gia Koa. Jacoya. Jacoya. Why can't I ever remember that one? It's really hard. I wasn't sure if maybe you were doing a bit. <laughs> no, I just can never remember how to pronounce it. Frank Giacoya. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. So here's especially where I don't understand. Okay. Nick is in like a sarcophagus with a window for his face and mm-hmm. he's like sitting down and he's in like a missile thing and there's people looking through the window like, you sure you want to do this? There's still 
whatever his name is, and there's Dum Dum and some random guy. And they're all like, you're going to die. And he's like, just shut up and do it. Someone's got to do it. Um, okay, so this is what I think is going on. They learned somewhere along the way about the enemy having something called an overkill horn. And what an overkill horn is supposed to do, I think, is detonate nuclear missiles in the proximity of the overkill horn. They're supposed to be able to shoot a sonic blast so powerful that they could destroy a nuclear missile from a distance. Okay. But so they figure out that someone might have an overkill horn, but they're not sure. So the way they work that out is they make their own overkill horn. Because they're not sure if it's even possible. So that's, they're going to decide it's possible because they just invented one. And Nick, even though he's in a sarcophagus thing and he can't move or anything like that, somehow he's responsible for pulling the trigger on this thing anyway. Like he blinks at it or yells at it or something. He, he basically black bolts it. He speaks into the absorber bomb. <laughs> And it shoots out a sonic blast. And he had to be, he has to be right there. There's no other way to do this remotely. And it knocks him backwards into this missile chute that he's in. And it rips, like, it's the pressure is so bad. It makes this piao scree noise and rips his suit off. His black bolt suit. His black bolt suit. Meanwhile, the actual gun does fire and goes through all those dilapidated buildings and, like, decapitates them. Almost kills these, this plane and these two guys that are flying in a no-fly zone they're just like whoa what was that that's cool maybe we shouldn't have flied here and then it does zap the nearest nuclear launch and kill it so everybody's like whoa i guess that means the overkill horn is real because we can invent it that's the logic so the rumor that it might exist somewhere else could be true could be true because we made it happen Mm-hmm. And if we can make things invisible, the other team can make things invisible as an analogy, I guess. So anyway. Right, right. Uh, anyway, it really hurts Nick. And he's like in a wheelchair and he's got the the stereotype like bandages on his head. I guess that's for a concussion or something. I don't know. And he pulls out – he gets wheeled in by um, – um, uh, Jasper Sitwell. Jasper Sitwell. And everybody's like, yay, Nick, you're still alive. And he's like, shut up with your gold bricking or whatever. And he pulls out a gun and he shoots it at them. And they're like, why are you shooting at it? He's like, don't worry. It's just a sound gun. But look at the picture on the sonar screen. You see how it looks? That is how it's going to look when someone shoots an Omega horn or overkill horn. And they're I like, like an Omega horn better. I do too. But they're like, well, why would why why would that be the case? You just you just shot a gun, not an overkill. Shut up! Doesn't have to make sense. Okay, so then <laughs> Dum Dum comes wheeling in because I guess he got hurt too in the bass, and they they knock wheelchairs around, and then some guy brings in this overly complicated TV. It's not Senator Bird. It just looks like him, but it's not him. It's Senator something else. But uh, on the TV is a dude named Don Caballero or Caballero if you're white, and he is in, where is he in? He is in... One of his many South American estates. South American estates, but he also shows off that he's got party zones in other places, like on icebergs and stuff like that. He's apparently a very rich man south of the border. The richest man south of the border is a flying, like, you know, party plane, and he just goes around partying. And he would like to invite Nick Fury to one of his parties. And... Stitwell's like, well, he's not going to go. And Nick Fury's like, heck, yes, I am. And they're like, what? We don't understand what's going on. Well, you see, Jasper, we planted a agent into Caballero's party scene 
and had the agent convince Caballero to invite Nick Fury because we think Caballero is somehow related to Hydra. Meanwhile, we cut to that agent who's very James Bondy and has like the white tuxedo and he's exploring Caballero's uh, Carnopolis location, I guess is where he's at. And there's like a basement and all these statues and he's like, oh, look, I see it. There's a thing on one of the tiles on the floor. It says cut off a limb and two more shall take its place. <gasps> Hydra does live. It's real. But as he's looking at that with the flashlight, the statue isn't the statue. It's actually a robot and it comes to life and it kills him. And Hydra agents come from under the floor and take his body to the brainwashing machine because Caballero comes out of nowhere with this cool tux and his martini glass and like orders them to brainwash him. So he doesn't remember anything that he's discovered. And he knew the whole time that this guy was an agent and he knew the whole time that they were trying to convince him to trick him into inviting Nick Fury to one of his parties. But he wanted to invite Nick Fury to his party anyway, because Nick Fury is the reason that Hydra is all jacked up. So we are going to get him. <laughs> and then we cut back to Nick on screen telling S.H.I.E.L.D. about how he's going to be gone to a party for a while. And he's putting Jasper in charge. And Jasper's like, what? Really? Me? Oh, my God. I will not. I will not fail you. Um whatever shield is the best and stuff and nick's like no shush up i'm tired of you or anything but yeah you get to be in charge while i'm gone and as they're like kibitzing a big sonic boom happens and nick's like that means uh what does it mean it means that someone does have an overkill horn and whoever it is he was just testing it so i guess i just did a flyby on them or something and he's like so now i really got to go meet with this senior don caballero and take care of business. The end. Oh my God. That was really hard to get through because I, ugh, my God. That was just too the complicated. Over, the overkill horn makes so little sense. I was reading that opening sequence. I had so many questions. Like, yeah. why, can, why can't they let a dummy sit in the seat to test it? Like, why does a living person have to be going through this test? <laughs> you know, you, you test stuff on things that can be destroyed like humans can before you test it on humans. Um, why does it have to be a live voice giving orders? Right. All it seems to need is just a projection of a sound wave. Is and, that what and, it's doing? It's amplifying sound waves? Is what it's That's doing? what it seems to be doing. It's, it's, yeah, amplifying a sound wave. Okay. And, so, yeah, they could just, you could put your, your voice on a tape recorder and hit play or something? Seemingly. Or, yeah. like, you know, have a button you push from three miles away that makes the thing beep. Yeah. yeah. Or clang or something. Yeah. Just or, some yeah, sort of vibration. So, all he does is shout something random into the microphone. And I'll also, this is rarely something the comics take into account, but like, what about the curve of the earth between the overkill horn and the rocket? Like that blast seems to be going pretty linearly. It's going to go right into space. But yeah. And does it automatically hit his target or do you have to aim? Cause it seems like it's so far away. Right. And I've already had my thing about aiming things from far away. Yeah. It's really hard to do. Right. And it's somewhere I thought it said it takes out any in the, in the vicinity so does that mean it just keeps going and knocking out, you know, if you had 10 of them on that base, would they just hit them all? Yeah, I don't know. Or how does it do that? I don't know. How does it know when to stop? Now that said, unfortunately, as bonkers as it is, as I'm reading it, it's also drawn by John Buscema and dramatically it looked really damn cool. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. This is not so much an okay story being made beautiful and therefore being made great. This is a pretty random story, but it's just really fun to look at. Yeah. Like, like as bonkers as it is, the the thing Nick Fury's in and how it rips apart and stuff when he, when he activates the gun, that all looked pretty cool. 
It's just dumb. And on, honestly, maybe it just needed a completely different explanation. Mm-hmm. Maybe the the if we like looked at looked through it again without reading it, maybe it would make a little more sense. I don't know. Based but on reports, whole- based, based on reports from Reed Richards, we've learned about this black bolt guy, and we think that we can duplicate his powers with technology. Right. Because <laughs> that's what they're but doing. Also, there's the whole there were rumors that an overkill uh, horn uh, might have been invented. Yeah. So they made out to see if they could do it. Uh-huh. And so that proves it could at least conceivably exist. Yeah. But then on page seven, we found out that Fury knows it actually does exist because S.H.I.E.L.D. All that proves is that it's the it's possible to do it. There's no proof that it's anything like what you developed. Right. Or that it will work like you developed. And also, I'm not sure how much I like things being happening off screen. Now, in this case, it's a spy comic. And certainly, like, say, I always keep looking to James Bond to compare this stuff. Certainly in the opening of James Bond, there's always things like M knows about this or this. And we don't know how he knows those things. And we just take them for granted. And that's fine. But this particular story seemed like there was a lot of that going on. So it really stuck mm-hmm. out to me, like, as kind of lazy. Like, it occurs to me what they're probably trying to do is they're probably trying to emulate the arms race. Mm-hmm. The Cold War uh, West versus East arm race. They've heard that Hydra has an overkill horn, or at least is maybe developing an overkill horn. So we've got to get that overkill horn first. Yeah. I feel like maybe that's what they're trying to do here. Yeah. I don't um, know. Go ahead. I was, was going to say Don Caballero is the new Supreme Hydra. Now, he's my favorite part of the story. I liked I liked the bits with this unknown or unnamed uh, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. discovering something, being killed. Mm-hmm. finding out Hydra's really there. He's really in charge, and he knew all along about the agent. He wants Nick to come anyway. That was all kind of compelling and interesting. So maybe next issue will be fun. We'll see. What's funny is the guy's name. Uh-huh. Okay, so a little bit of translation. Caballero has had a few different meanings. It basically, modern-day meaning means gentleman. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Don is an address... It's a it's a title or, or a prefix that you give to somebody um, that you want to show respect to, but then you usually use their first name after it. Mm. Um, it's so it's 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 a step down from Mister, but it also does show respect. So Don Pedro would be addressing somebody named Peter, who is maybe you know a lord of the town or an elder or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know. Of course, Don Juan is the same kind of thing. Don Juan, the old story there, we're calling him Don Juan because, you know, he's this rogue and, hmm. you know, he has a, he has a bit of a, a, a reputation. Don Caballero, though, just seems to be a little bit of a redundant name. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny, but he's also this not as bad of a Hispanic stereotype as we've had. More of just a Hispanic dandy kind of look. I kind of like it. it. It is very James Bond, like the, the openly pu- the public villain, you know, who's got mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. who's got like this whole party vibe but in reality he's really sinister things going on it sounds like uh lex luthor yeah or that yeah i don't know that dude from thunderball with the eye patch and stuff like that i don't know i'm oh, yeah, look- yeah 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 but i was thinking like the only don i could think of is zorro but they do call him don diego so that's his first name so that makes sense i guess um so yeah it's you know hydra's back mm-hmm. uh we have the new supreme hydra is this don caballero character mm-hmm. how he's going to function and what he's going to do of course is a big mystery yeah. the fact that the statue comes to life i was extremely amused by because they just had that on hand mm-hmm. randomly for this one guy well he is guarding the hydra i don't know if it's a base whatever's underneath that thing 
I guess so. They come out of the floor. So that theoretically, there's a big giant hydro base under that floor. I don't know. We have, we don't get to see it. Our, but already the the head of Hydra is twenty times more interesting than the last head of Hydra. So well, he's a personality, right? Like he's yeah. a character we know. He's not you know random nameless dude. Yeah. And then even when random nameless dude was revealed, it's like, well, how did this guy become head of Hydra? What is he all right? About? We don't know anything. Well, he went to a town called Springfield and had this multi level marketing plan. Yeah. So um, so there are there is potential despite this story confusing the heck out of me. I'm hoping this guy is fun and maybe next issue. We'll just focus on him more. Before we leave this story, though, I feel like I should mention that this week I heard on the internet, Jasper Sitwell was modeled after Roy Thomas. Oh. So he's the yes man to the leader in charge, and the leader reluctantly starts leaving him in charge when he goes and does stuff. And he just goes so, around saying, make mine Marvel? Yeah. Yeah. So Roy <laughs> Thomas is is uh, Stan Lee's That's funny. heir apparent. And, um, and uh, yeah, Jasper Sitwell. So that, I had never heard that until this week. I have no idea if it's true. Uh, I have a feeling if it is true, it's not very flattering to Roy, but Roy was right there in the office when it was being done. So, you know, whatever. Well, there was probably a little bit of, I don't know if it was actual animosity, but at least some sort of rib poking on, on the, on everybody who was watching like this guy come along to kind of take Stan's place. Probably. You know, I do have to wonder about that. Yeah, because you probably had a lot of people working for Stan who had been in Marvel for, you know, years or decades. Mm -hmm. Roy Thomas is a relatively new face, Mm -hmm. but suddenly he's getting left in charge of stuff. And I thought about that this story. Like, is there nobody else? Like, but then I thought, well, okay, the only other guy I know is Dum Dum, and I wouldn't put him in charge. So, yeah, I guess Jasper is a good choice, but he is a freshman. Everybody knows that. He just started, Mm -hmm. he just graduated. Mm -hmm. So it's also a weird choice. I think Nick just likes Jasper more than he pretends to not like Jasper. <laughs> I think he does, too. I think he does, too. All right. So let's do another story that makes no sense to me. But again, it could be me. The Conquest of Kalu, Gloriously edited by Stan Lee. Graniloquently scripted by Roy Thomas. Gorgeously drawn by Wild Bill Everett. Grudgingly lettered by Artie Semek. I don't know the word graniloquent, but look. Graniloquently. Yeah, loquent has to do with words, and grand sounds like grand, so the scripture had some grand words. It means um, um, pompous or extravagant in language. Okay, I, I was right. Okay. Hell hath no fury like a sorcerer scorned. The evil Kalu, primordial enemy of both the Ancient One and his disciple, Doctor Strange, thought that he had vanquished his two necromatic nemeses with one powerful spell. But now, with a cry of anguished rage, he discovers... Well, what he discovers is they're not there because he discovered that last issue. Um, so he's looking around. He's like, hey, I don't think those candles were there when I came in or they look weird. So you know what? I bet they're using these candles as a way to go into the past because I know about the book of Bashanti and there's like that one spell about candles and going into the past. But that's cool. I'll just blow it out. Then they'll die. Oh, the flames didn't blow up. Okay, well, I'll whip my hand across them. Ah, still not working. Well, that's Okay. I was stuck for 5,000 years, and I've got some more spell ideas. But while he's thinking about that, we cut to Doctor Strange and the Immortal One, who are traveling back in time, and they're going to get the Book of the Vashanti? Mm-hmm. Because why? Because Kalu already stole it in the present? Because it has something that will defeat Kalu. But didn't they already own it? I don't think they had the actual book. 
They just talk about it all the time. Yeah, they know that the Vashanti is definitely part of their language, but I don't think they we've, we've actually known about the book of the Vashanti until okay. this. Okay, but then he does say something like, he stole it already once before from this griffin, by the way, that we're now encountering as I summarize this story. Yeah, uh, so Zixi's time travel stories don't always make sense. They're going right. to go steal something that has already been stolen by going to when it was stolen. Right. So there's a big giant griffin, and uh, the immortal one takes care of it with a band of Sidorek. And then he's like, okay, go back and fight Kalu now. And just as Kalu is about to do something that actually might work on those two candles, one of the candles flares up and dramatically Stephen Strange enters. And he's like, I am back. And Kalu's like, well, I'll kill you. And he's like, I'm going to shoot you with the power of Amtor the Unspeakable and suspend you in animation forever. But dun, when he dun. does that, it just bounces right off the Bichanti book and comes back. And Kalu's like, oh, hoisted by my own petard. And he um, gets put in suspended animation. And Doctor Strange is like, wow, it's a really useful book. I didn't even have to do anything. I just had to hold it up and it bounces everything back at people. And then he's like, Ancient One, I defeated him. What do you want to do? And the Ancient One casts a spell that puts, uh, 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 the frick is his name already, into limbo. Never to be seen again, I imagine. And that's the end of that. Meanwhile, let's start a new chapter. Clea, that's her name. Remember that lady who has no name? She has a name now. Hey, guys, listeners, remember how Dormammu, even though he's a bad guy, there was one thing that he was doing that was kind of cool, and that was keeping the the fury of the uh, mindless ones in a different dimension so they don't kill us all. Remember that? Remember how Dormammu is now dead? Yeah, so that's a problem. So the mindless ones are are getting through the barrier, and Clea's like, oh, man, I think I should call Doctor Strange. But before she can do that, this new woman with severe Vulcan eyebrows, so you know she's not up to any good, in a green cool dress and raven locks comes in, and she's like, I am the sister of Dormammu, and he banished me because he hated all my shenanigans. But now that he's dead... I am free, and you will all go back to your old dimensions. And I, what's her name? Umar? Umar. Umar, the unrelenting, am going to wreak a lot of havoc that Doctor Strange is going to have to stop next issue. Yeah. So I looked up that whole thing about the candles, Mm -hmm. and I barely remember the story where it happened, but Strange Tales 124, so way back in the day, um, Doctor Strange met a strange woman under a spell wandering around. He realized that she was time displaced. So the ancient one sent him back in time and he had a candle. And the whole thing was that Dr. Strange had to get back to the present before uh, the candle died. That was, I remember that. And the candle actually did die. And he like had to use his amulet to like open up the portal and like break through. And it turned out that the woman was Cleopatra sent through time by a spurned lover named Zota. who oh, never existed. Oh yeah. So this candle thing has precedence. It does. It actually is a reference to things. I like the candle thing. I don't know the time travel thing made any sense to me, but whatever. Who cares? Um, yeah, but the idea of using a candle for time travel, I, 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 I like the idea that a really savvy reader could have guessed what was going on from the end of last issue. Oh, yeah. Well, it also makes sense because it slowly burns down. Just like, I don't know, time travel? I don't know. Going back <laughs> in time? That doesn't make any sense. Anyway. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> um. 
There's a quote on page five, and I really like to look up whenever they quote stuff. They're like, hey, get this, literature lovers. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, but I'm sure I can find it. Yep. So Doctor Strange and the Ancient One are looking at a picture of the Vashanti, the book of the Vashanti, the hoary host of Hoggoth be praised. <laughs> now let Kalu steal himself, for we shall shake him or endure the worst. And um, I'm glad that Stan said it was a pseudo-Shakespearean gem, because right. that at least gave me a place to start yeah, my research. Yeah. Uh, Julius Caesar. Uh, and the quote reads, For we shall shake him, or worse days endure. Cassius uh, is talking about their plans to dethrone Caesar, because uh, if they don't, worse days will follow. Gotcha. And Brutus is um, an honorable man. That's all I remember. Something like that. That's all I remember from that play, is like the reverse psychology of that one speech. My uh, my daughter and I have an ongoing joke. Mm-hmm. So, like, one of the first things that you hear whenever you study Julius Caesar a lot of times is the really, really famous line that Caesar says before he uh, is killed by Brutus is, et tu, Brute? Right. Which is Latin for even you, Brutus. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, you often get told, you know, did you know that Shakespeare made that up? We don't actually know what Caesar said to Brutus before he died, you know, if he said anything, uh-huh. he says, so <laughs> Lily and I'll be sitting there talking about, I don't know, volleyball. And I'll be so, so Lily, did you know that whenever Julius C- and she'll be like, oh my God, dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love how the magic book is also a magic shield. Like, I feel like that'd be mm-hmm. really handy in a D and D game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep that book. If that just works on everything. And That's it's like pretty easy. They were all secrety about it beforehand. They're like, there's one extra thing about the book besides the spells inside it. That'll be really awesome to have. And it's like the book is a magic shield. So this is the beginnings of Endgame, essentially. Essentially. Yeah. They better go back and put the book back where they got it or everything's going to get messed up. And Captain America is going to be old. Yeah. Um, spoilers. Kalu does come back. Okay. Well, he's escaped limbo before, I guess. It's actually way the heck down the road, though. The 1980s Strange Tales series, which is a um, it's another split book like this one, but it has a cloak and dagger lead story with a Doctor Strange backup. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes back with a wicked haircut, um, like an 80s punk version of this haircut. Well, he was pretty easily swept aside. Um, I do like the callback to the mindless ones. I thought that was cool. And I did go, oh, yeah. What's been going on with that? Because Dormammu's dead, so that makes sense that they're mm-hmm. escaping again. Mm-hmm. I feel like Umar and Dormammu have different fathers or something. Because they don't look a lot the, alike. But yeah, the genetic difference. I mean, she's less hot than he is. <laughs> yes. Of course, for all we know, none of these forms are how they really look because we don't know what they are. But right, they're they're extra dimensional extra dimensional beings. Mm-hmm. Like, and I do hate, as usual, that the cover gives away this ending. Oh, but yeah. I also love that at the ending, it, by, by having that cover, if you look at the cover, uh-huh. they're basically saying, okay, so yeah, Kalu was maybe dumb a little bit, but Umar is going to be cool, we promise. Yeah, they not only tell you that Umar's coming, but they also tell you that Kular's de- Kalu's defeated before you even open the freaking book. Right. That's weird. And she has a, I, I kind of love her entrance on that last page. Yeah, that was very cool. And I she's, have no she's idea. Already, go ahead. I was going to say, I have no idea how the story goes, but it was a good start. I was going to say, she's already leaps and bounds more interesting than Kalu, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so we'll see. So both of these stories, while bonkers, also provide 
potential that maybe the next issue will be awesome. We'll see. Yeah, we've got Don Caballero, Supreme Hydra, taking mm-hmm. us forward. We've got Umar, the sister of Dormammu. Mm-hmm. Um, so fingers crossed. I would say Strange Tales and uh, Tales to Astonish are consistently the books where I'm just like not super excited to read, but they could always change. You don't know. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of are the the bottom rungs. And the X-Men. Oh, God, and the X-Men, yeah. That's so bad I forgot about the X-Men. I do have to laugh at the difference in their names. Have you? Do you remember the episode of Doctor Who called Love and Monsters? It's the one with the green Absorbaloff that like absorbs all the little Doctor Who fanboys into him. Uh-huh. Everybody okay, hates so, that episode. I like that episode. I, don't know. I love that episode. It's, yeah. it's camp and, yeah. and, and, and ridiculous, but it's really fun and very endearing. Yeah. Um. And it has the Luna Lovegood actress doing something more interesting than weeping in a toilet. Um, but they make the point that the Absorbaloff is from the sister planet of Raxacor Cephalopatorius. And okay. they're like, they're the sister planet of Raxacor Cephalopatorius? I didn't oh. know Raxacor Cephalopatorius had a sister planet. Uh-huh. What is the name of the sister planet of Raxacor Cephalopatorius? Clum. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> so Dormammu is obviously not as ridiculous as Rexicorca Valapatorius, but yeah. Dormammu is this big thing. And Umar just seems like a lesser <laughs> right. name somehow. It's just like not quite as gravitasy, but that, I'm not holding it against her. And you it's meant Moni Myrtle, not Luna. That's what I said. Yeah. Um, end of the month. End of the. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. So, um,. I guess I've got to do this then. We've got to we've got to pick some things. You got to pick some I'm things. Sc- scrolling back through the list so I can look at the covers and see what we covered. Hmm. Um, this is not the month that leaked into the previous month. That was July. No, this is all nice and tidy. I was looking at next July, and it's going to do the same thing. It's going to have June thirtieth, but then or, or June something. Mm-hmm. But then the other, the instead of coming out the first week of July after that, that would be July fourth, oh. and so they wait until July eleventh. So it's a it's it's a two week gap between issues. Oh. Okay, so check it out, y'all. Check it out. Amazing Spider Man King Size Number Three. Avengers want Spidey. Spidey fights the Hulk. Mm-hmm. That's already on the list mm-hmm. fantastic four king size four with torch versus torch and mm-hmm. thinker and quasimodo mm-hmm. tales to astonish 85 where um submariner accidentally kills number one and then goes after <laughs> krang no hulk accidentally killed number one. Oh yeah Just, where namor does nothing except watch <laughs> the story happen around him and I then goes so. after Krang. I think that's what happens, yeah. And Hulk uh, rampages through Also New does York, nothing. Meets Rick, fights a Shogun <laughs> warrior, and then jumps on a bomb and turns into Bruce Banner. Um, the Living Planet with Thor. Oh, yeah. And also Hela in the backup. Um, the X-Men. Okay, so that was Thor number 133. The X-Men 25. Mm-hmm. LT Gray. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Daredevil 21, second half of Owl. Gene Colon, but still. Um, Sergeant Fury 35, the Berlin breakout, where Nick Fury finally goes and rescues the Howlers. Dino gets injured, and Eric Koenig joins the ranks. Mm-hmm. 
Tales of Suspense 83, Iron Man versus Titanium Man, Happy gets his memory back, and then Captain America doesn't fight the Tumblr because fakey Captain America fights the Tumblr. Um, the Avengers 33, Smashing a Serpent, the Fantastic Four 56, Fighting Claw, Amazing Spider-Man 42, Birth of a Superhero, First Appearance of Mary Jane, Strange Tales 150, Hydra Lives with a God Kill Horn, or an Overkill Horn, and uh, we gotta take out Kalu, because Umar's up next. Mm. So it's quite the extensive list. And yet, none seem overpoweringly good. To me. So it's kind of okay. a ho-hum month, maybe. I mean, outside of introducing Mary Jane, which is awesome... But that's also just like the last page of something. I don't know. A lot of awesome worst options. <laughs> there are some awesome worst options. Okay, so um, I've got my favorite. Okay, well, you go first this time. All right. I've had a lot of times recently mm-hmm. where I wasn't sure if I wanted to give it to Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Because although Spider-Man was doing some really momentous stuff, there were other things I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the Spider-Man issue ends with the introduction of Mary Jane, but that's not really the point of the story. The point of the story is that he's fighting Superman, which is cool. Superman's my guy. Also, Spider-Man did the whole Avengers Hulk thing, mm-hmm. which is hugely momentous for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. But I have to tell you, I'm going to pick the Avengers. Wow. Okay. Because the Avengers was jaw-droppingly on the nose relevant (laughs) yeah Yeah. right okay so for sheer enjoyment factor which is what we're mainly basing this on Uh uh-huh for sheer enjoyment factor this read through i'm going to have to say the avengers i will have lots of chances to love mary jane later Mm -hmm. i'm gonna pick the avengers 33 okay you got a hate um or least favorite is a better way to say that right Daredevil was not a great story. No. Hulk was an all right story. Namor was not a great story, but I still enjoyed reading it. Uh-huh. But I'll tell you, X-Men was horrible. It was horrible. It's an easy I answer. Didn't. No, I, I dreaded reading it. And as I was reading it, I was like, uh Yeah. Um, and I'm not gonna like the second half. I already remember I'm not gonna like the second half. Um, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think X-Men's – I almost picked Nick Fury as my bottom, but I do like the Dawn stuff, and I do like the Buscema art, and X-Men just is a groaner to get through, man. Like, that's the only comic we read right now where I actually thumb ahead to see how many more pages I have to suffer mm-hmm. when we're reading it. Like, it's just bad. Some of the lesser strips you mentioned earlier have the uh, benefit of not being that long. That and I think the setup, like I said, the Strange Tales issue, both of them, I didn't love the story, but they both have potential in their setup. So that's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Whereas X-Men, it's like, I don't even care that this dude becomes a god at the end of the story. Like, I don't right. want to see that entire next issue of them fighting this guy. Like, I just don't care. I wish they would have right. taken care of him in this one. So I'm afraid to say X-Men again. I think that's like the 18th time I've picked X-Men as my least. But what are you going to do? It is what it is. And my favorite... You know, uh, it's really hard because nothing's really popping out, but I kind of feel like it's going to be Tales of Suspense and I'm waffling between the two. I really enjoyed the cap just because the cap was all like ego fluffing 
and stuff in terms of like he's a great fighter and better than the super adaptoid, but it doesn't really do anything. So I think I'm going to pick Iron Man this month because I like the Titanium Man. I like that he got mad after they put Pepper in jeopardy. I like that he used his intelligence, as always, to stop an armored foe. And I really liked uh-huh. the ending where where Happy remembers who Tony really is as a cool setup. Yeah, so, it's a good story. And, of course, it's great art because it's still uh, Gene Colan. So, yep, I'm going to pick Iron Man. All right. So that's that. Um, I guess that brings us to homework for next week. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to want to read Tales to Astonish 86, which has Crane just as Jorel on the cover. <laughs> um, Thor 134, which is a very important issue if you're an Adam Warlock fan. Ooh, I am. Um, the he's not in it, but it's important to to his story. Okay, the I just want to make sure he didn't have too much of a high hope there. The X Men twenty six because we have to do it. Uh huh. And Daredevil twenty two, which has him fighting the Tri Man. Oh, that guy. Whatever that is. I don't know what that is. There, is it not, is there it? was that one guy named Triathlon, but he doesn't show up until Busex run in the nineties or something. But and Cosmic Spidey fight the Tri Sentinel. Huh. Is there a Triceratops? That's a, a Dinobot or something, right? Yeah, that's Slag from the Dinobots. Oh, Slag. It's not even named Tri. I don't know. No. You have Sarah from Land Before Time. <sighs> well, I don't know but who Tri-Tip Man is then. I guess we'll find out. I guess we'll find out who the Tri-Man is. Tri-Man. It's going to be Gene Colan, so. Is it T-R-I or T-R-Y? T-R-I, like triple. Okay, so he better have something involving three or he's going to be a disappointment. And you like the number three, so hopefully. I do. He could be my favorite new character. Right. Or not. Okay, so that's coming up next time. So, Mike, assuming that they think we are completely wrong <laughs> and that the X-Men 25 was actually the greatest thing since sliced cheese, you know, how can they find us and tell us? That would be a fantastic letter. If there are any X-Men fans out there, I know there's a couple X-Men fans out there. You know, It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty f- uh, popular yeah, I mean, team these days. Yeah, I guess. So if you are an actual lover of 25 and below... Please tell us why we're wrong. I would love to read that. And you could do that by going to makeoursmarvel.com. And there's a contact form there. You can write your angry letter. Or you could write it directly, podcast at makeoursmarvel.com. While you're at the website, you can also find our links to Facebook and Twitter and links to, you know, popular podcast apps or just our RSS feed if you want to plug them in. Um, and just, uh, that's it. You could either, you could also just find us by typing make ours Marvel on your favorite, uh, podcast app, hopefully. And you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, Mike is on Twitter as at Kaiser, the great, I am on Twitter at John reads comics. Um, there's no H in John. And, uh, I have other podcasts I do. Um, I've been recently getting caught up on my recordings and postings for return to Cybertron. A Transformers UK podcast. My son and I are nearing the end of season two, which means that we are also going to be nearing the beginning of our Jew Ranger show, um, which is a Japanese superhero uh, show. Also, I have an Image Comics podcast called All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast, which I've actually considered backing off on. But then like 20 people liked the Facebook page. And I'm like, I guess People are out there still really excited for this show, so I uh-huh. shouldn't back off on it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's all out there. You should just go to Twitter and find the links and look at those podcasts if they are your fancy. So uh, 
I guess that's it. That's we, it. We put another one in the bag. The 133rd one is done. Five years. Five years. Happy fifth birthday, yeah. Marvel Universe. Yep. And um, may the X-Men get better. <laughs> I think it does, but I can't remember. Speaking of, uh, it should be here next week. We'll talk more about the X-Men. It's going to be great. And until then, or until the Black Panther marries an X-Man, make, make ours Marvel. Marvel.